Blog Talk Radio. Reality Radio Entertainment presents Behind the Curtain with your host, Kathy Barrett. Kathy Barrett, and welcome to Behind the Curtain, a show about how we navigate down the not-so-yellow brick road of life. And life is something we shouldn't do alone. So spend the next 30 minutes with me as I reveal what's behind the curtain this week. I, first of all, I want to send my support to the Occupy Wall Street um, all over, but particularly in New York City. They cleared Sukati Park today. But you know what? You cannot evict a message whose time has come. And I hope that the Occupy Wall Streeters look at this as an opportunity to pause, reflect, and strengthen. This movement is not a pile of dust that can be swept under the carpet by the powers that be. Change is happening. It's just not happening in the way we may have originally uh, visualized it to be, but it's happening in an even better way because people are creating a groundswell, a movement, from the bottom up, and it will continue to gain strength. So behind the curtain is rooting for you, and please stay strong. I am sometimes not a fan of technology. It is not without its harmful side effects, but I have to tip my hat to it this week because I now belong to the wild world of Twitter. So please be sure to follow the show on Twitter. And this is where I met our guest, documentary filmmaker Jamie Moffat. He followed the show, and I looked into what he was doing and followed him. And I'm so happy I did because um, I'm really excited about the show today. And so here I'm going to, you know, fess up to it. Technology can be a beautiful thing. Before we start today's show with uh, Jamie Moffat, a man on a mission, he's a documentary filmmaker extraordinaire, I also want to make an announcement for the Brahma Kumaris World Spiritual Foundation in New York City. They are inviting all of you to join them on Thursday, November 17th for a celebration of light, and this will be held at the Cebu Chelsea Center at 2.30 West 29th Street between 7th and 8th Avenues in New York City. The evening will begin with a light supper at 6 p.m. Music and meditation will follow at 6.30. So if you need more information, call 212-564-4335. Okay, let me get to today's show, which, again, I am so excited about. Our guest is Jamie Moffat, founder and owner of Jamie Moffat Media Design and Productions, which he created in 2005. Jamie has been honored by the Greater Philadelphia Film Office for his pioneering work to advance Philadelphia's motion picture industry. And in 2008, he directed his first feature called The Ordinary Radicals. Jamie and his company make films with a conscience and television that entertains. They focus on topics that affect our communities, our country, and our planet, and they cross borders and class lines to do so. Jamie's website, Jamie, J-A-M-I-E, Moffitt, all one word, M-O-F-F-E-T-T dot com, says it best. In the Kensington section of Philadelphia, there resides a small production company that makes some big films that tell big stories about acts of love and service performed in all kinds of places. Jamie Moffat uses film to document the stories of those who work for peace and justice in their own communities and around the world, ordinary people who do extraordinary things with some simple love and service. Welcome, Jamie, and thanks for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. 
you know, we share a passion for documenting ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Uh, to me, there is nothing more fascinating than seeing the human spirit captured on film, and obviously for you as well. Mm. Yeah, it's um, uh, it's a, a gift is an understatement to say that I get to uh, to do this for a living. It really is. And you, but you began as a, a music composition major and then switched to communications. What led you into documentary filmmaking? That's correct. Yeah, I started off, um, went to a little school in, uh, outside of Philadelphia called Eastern University. And um, I was a music composition major involved in theater. And um, my theater director and mentor, Mark Allen, suggested that I combine my two loves and go into theater sound design. So I actually got to intern off-Broadway with a guy named Darren West, who did the New York Theater Workshop version uh, sound design of Rent before uh, it went on Broadway. So I got to hang out with him. I would sleep on a floor in Hoboken and take the path train in to work every day. Um, I got to work on a couple of films, like, um, or, I'm sorry, a couple of uh, theatrical projects. There was uh, one that was a, it was a redo of The Misanthrope that starred Uma Thurman, and um, it was just so kind of revealing to see how the, the process works in those sorts of professional environments. Um, I came back to Philadelphia, uh, did sound design for a while, was nominated for a thing called a Barrymore Award, but, but really, I, eventually I just got to the point where I felt like the stories that I was coming in contact with in Philadelphia, um, the, the sort of the undertold stories, needed um, a bigger venue than what I was aware of. So I, I picked up a camera, uh, started documenting anything that I could, taking any of the production assistant or free jobs that I, I could I could find and um eventually a few years later I started uh, started doing motion picture professionally. Wow, that's that's interesting. I, I love the look of your films as well. Do you shoot them all on digital or what what is your process? Yeah, we shoot everything uh digitally. We use um a variety of high definition cameras. Um I'm I'm I really uh I guess most interested in the, I don't know, I mean, almost spontaneous, really. I try not to have things too, too set up. Um, documentaries can often, nowadays anyway, can, can almost kind of be structured so that the, uh, your, your intended goal uh, it ends up being more of a, of a, of a paper, really, than, than a documentary. And I, I, I try it as best as I can to make sure that uh, the, the, the hot coals of the story are, are ones that just kind of spontaneously occurred as opposed to things that we manufacture. Um, yeah, so, but in doing that, we kind of have to use the, the least uh, amount of equipment possible so that we don't have, we don't overwhelm our, uh, our, our interviewees or we're running around. Like, for example, like I was in Iraq uh, a couple of years ago working on the film, and there's no way I could have gotten a film crew in there. I mean, it was, it was me in a backpack, um, a camera, and a laptop, and that was, that was pretty much it. Other, other than that, it, it would have been, uh, it would have drawn too much attention to us, you know, during a war. But um, that's the kind of, I guess that's the kind of story that I like to tell is one that um, they're, 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 they're truthful and, and undertold. And I don't know, that's the kind of stuff that I, I really enjoy to, to help share. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. And I think that is the new wave of filmmaking in a way because, I mean, to go into, I mean, you've, you've done a film in Iraq and you go into some pretty kind of, tough and dangerous situations, El Salvador, and, um, you know, looking into, I mean, we'll go into this in further detail in a second, 
But are you ever fearful of your life when you go in with limited, you know, crew? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, there's certainly there's certainly dangerous um, dangerous areas. uh, I mean, even the even the neighborhood that I'm I'm committed to, my my studio is in a neighborhood called Kensington, and um, it was once the poorest neighborhood in the state of Pennsylvania. And actually, I was statistically safer in Iraq during the war than I was than I was in the neighborhood where my studio is. And um, it's uh, I don't I mean I definitely don't seek out danger, but um, the some of the most truth-telling stories that I've come across are the ones that um, that have an element of risk that um, I guess that, that an average uh, motion picture person wouldn't wouldn't step into. And I, I know a, a lot of my audience really wants to get a better idea of who who we are as a society, and we kind of there's not really any way for us to, to do that unless we gain insight onto the totality of our society. If, if we just focus on the, the, the easy and safe stories, uh, we're not really going to get the, the widest understanding of who we are and, and also who, who we want to be. So, um, I mean, again, I'm just I'm honored that I've been doing this for so long and in times that are economically so tough, we can at least, we can at least pay the mortgage to keep the lights on. Not too much more than that, but, uh, but I'm awfully happy that we still get to do it. Well, I, I think I said somewhere that, um, I, I don't know, you kind of come across to me um, in a way like a peaceful warrior, if you will. I mean, speaking about uh, the community where you have your studio, um, you also, you and your company created a campaign to turn the Reading uh, Viaduct, which is, what is it, acres of abandoned train yards, into an open public space that would revitalize the community. So that's, in a way, going beyond you know, it's going way beyond filmmaking. It's it's a passion when we hold that kind of passion in our hearts. The, really, danger is not the first thing you think of. It's it's like you say, getting the story out. But you made uh, you took photographs and I guess captured video and then took this into uh, an art gallery and had an exhibition about the um, uh, the abandoned train area. Uh, the viaduct, and then attracted all these people of influence and uh, importance in the community to support your idea. So bring us up to date on that. What's what's happening? Yeah, there's a, um, there's actually there's a uh, symposium of sorts this evening at the Academy of Natural Science in Philadelphia. It starts around 6:30, and there will be some very uh, well well versed uh, politicians and um, and community activists who will be presenting essentially the big pitch, why taking an abandoned railroad that's been vacant since the mid-'80s and turning it into an elevated park in the sky, so to speak, um, to kind of see what, explain why Philadelphia and, and cities like Philly really need to have these sort of linear parks. Um, it's just exciting. And it's also exciting to see places like Paris with their promenade plante, New York with the High Line. Um, there's precedent for this sort of this sort of thing. And to find a way, I mean, for me, I mean, selfishly as a, as a Philadelphian, if I can grab lunch in Chinatown, ride my bike uh, up and west to the art museum and do it by uh, a space on, on a linear park, um, it's just magical. And, and to be able to share that with hundreds of thousands or, or millions of, phil- of fellow uh, Philadelphians and, and, and neighbors, it's um the, the, I guess the, the, the interplay between what one thinks a park is 
and what one thinks transportation is. We can kind of merge those two. Like we have a um, we have a an interstate called 676, and it's um, interstate 676 goes in. It's a uh, it's an interplay between the eastern section of Philly and the western section of Philly, and this the Reading Viaduct can essentially be a healthy pedestrian and cycling version of that. So uh, not only can we have these beautiful vistas to get to and from places, but we can also encourage uh, fellow Philadelphia and fellow citizens to uh, to when they when they travel to do it in a more healthy fashion. That's really great. So it's it's also um, it's giving hope to maybe some of the communities surrounding this abandoned courtyard you know, that may be devastated as well. And then so it, it brings, it, it really kind of infuses life into those areas to bring outside businesses in um, to lift the communities up, as well as now your, you know, your idea of um, people making it even more green and using bicycle as transportation is wonderful. So I want to get on to uh, a couple of, so thank you for that, because that's, I found that story to be very, uh, really inspirational. And um, i Let's talk about Return to El Salvador because I found this to be a fascinating um, film. It's narrated by Martin Sheen and endorsed by Archbishop uh, Desmond Tutu. Now, how did this little company in Philadelphia get um, Martin Sheen, uh, Emmy Award-winning yeah. actor, and uh, uh, the Archbishop Tutu to uh, be involved with your project? I mean, that's a, a pretty amazing accomplishment right there. Yeah, well, there, I mean, those both of those those folks and, and hundreds other that helped us along the way, it's just a story that's, it's an undertold story with such um, a, a key thread. And, I mean, even in its, in its sort of narrow focus of my interest as, as a U.S. citizen, um, I I met folks uh, who originally came from El Salvador and really kind of uh, was, was shocked to learn how much uh, my government has played in the Civil War, and that was in the 80s and 90s, um, the, the, I guess in, in, in the process of this film, interviewing folks like former uh, U.S. ambassador to El Salvador under, uh, under Reagan, um, Robert White, was really revealing and just in, in explaining, like, here's what we did, here's the money that we were throwing towards it, our goal was, was this, but it didn't happen that way at all. And um, I mean, just to have folks in that kind of power say, "Here's here's what happened," and uh, I, and I was not only am I an expert, but I was there and I was actually doing this stuff, you know, at, at the time. Um, it was astonishing. So I, I kind of got to a point where, in under in that story, in understanding the, the statistics, there's about about 2.8 million Salvadorans that currently live in the U.S. So that means that roughly one out of every hundred people that you meet comes from this little country the size of Massachusetts. And most often the reason that they're that they're here are are US guns and, and US money. So it's um it's very important for us as a as a nation of immigrants, as John F. Kennedy put, that we really want to understand uh who we are, um and, and the idea of, of knowing who your neighbor is. That that was sort of key for me to um to, under, to understand, and also as a as a descendant of um, of Irish immigrants, the um, yeah, from the 1840s and 50s, the the story of coming to America being thought of as you know those people are stealing our jobs. I mean, those those newspaper articles were were in Philadelphia newspapers in the 1840s and 1850s. So much so that actually there were Catholic churches that were Catholic churches 
that were uh, burned, uh, Irish Catholic churches that were burned to the ground at that time, um, in opposition to new immigrants taking jobs. So to see that we kind of haven't learned our lesson in 150 years, we're still saying those yeah. those people are taking our jobs. We're just replacing them with a new ethnic group. Um, for, for for me, that yeah. that hit especially it, it hit it hit especially hard. And I, I wanted to make sure that um, I don't know. I guess it just had the sort of like glass half full idea of Americans that that if we're informed properly, we're we're going to act accordingly. Um, so yeah, I guess absolutely. my my big goal is to is to inform properly. Is to get the, the information out there, and you know the the war in El Salvador. I mean, it's I mean there, it, there's layers and layers of, of stories. It's very complex, and like you say, our government. It's it's shocking to know the role that we played uh, through parts of it, and then kind of came around at the end and you know stopped put, uh, giving the support there. But let's just for the listeners that may not be aware, this is a civil war that went on for 12 years. Over 70,000 people were murdered. And then, uh, so part of your film is that you go, you, some of your subjects, it's, it's like how did that war impact their lives, and you tell their stories. But then you go to um, uh, telling the story of the disappearance and uh, the murder of uh, Marcelo Rivera, who was an yeah. activist, and he was in opposition to the drilling for gold that um, the Pacific uh, Rim Company, it's a Canadian company, um, I, I guess had permission to do at one time, and then uh, opposition came up. You, you, why don't you tell the story? <laughs> yeah, they had they had permission to explore, but not permission to drill. And once once it became uh, once neighbors became aware that um, that there was such significant damage to the environment, um, to the water table. To, um, I mean, in order to get in order to get gold out of a mountain, you have to um, pump cyanide-laden water into that mountain to leach out the, the gold. And um, and this, this company, Pacific Rim, was saying, like, oh, yeah, we're going to create this thing called a tailing pool where we just hold all the, the cyanide water in, you know, in, in, this, in this pool. I just, it was so crazy for me to think that, I mean, El Salvador has earthquakes regularly. And I mean, imagine, imagine in your backyard having a pool filled with cyanide that could essentially, at any point in time, be cracked by an earthquake. It, um, it made very little sense. And um, so, uh, a number of groups who are still active today um, were very vocal in their opposition. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Marcelo Rivero had been was kidnapped, tortured, and was killed uh, while we were on location uh, shooting the film in El Salvador. And um, it's, uh, it very quickly, our, our our production schedule very quickly turned into we're making a feature film, but we're, we also have to uh, document this story, which eventually became a part of the of the feature. So um, that little short film called the it was called the mysterious death of Marcelo Rivera. That that film um, hundreds of thousands of people watched it. It ended up on the desk of Hillary Clinton, and um, it was given to the Attorney General of of the country of El Salvador. And um, it really informed lots of folks at a point in time where um, there was a, a lot of suppression of, of the story and people were really afraid to share the story because they were worried about having having an end result that was similar to Marcelo. And um, his brother Miguel is absolutely, he's a hero of mine. Um, 
so yeah, so I mean for me it, it was it was a chance to come across this undertold story that was so urgent. Um there was just there was never a question. It had to somebody had to do it and I was the only international journalist with a camera, so it was I mean, I couldn't push it off, it had to be me, so so we did. And um yeah, so I mean I'm I'm, I'm really glad that we that we had the chance to to do it. Uh, again, going back to what you were saying before where you talked about the immigration of, of the Irish, uh, when the Irish first came to America, I mean, the, the same thing is going on now with the hydrofracking in this country, mm-hmm. which amazing to me. Uh, this is, again, even though there have been good stories out there, people still are not taking the time to absorb the information and get behind, you know, the opposition, and it's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's it's one thing to drill if you are, you know, if you have tested it and you know that you can do it safely. It's another thing if you have not done that. And there are signs all over the place that they shouldn't be doing hydrofracking, and yet that's, you know, that's going on in, the, in all over this country. So it's, mm-hmm. it's really what you're saying is absolutely true, and I, I think it's great that you're bringing these stories to light and, uh I, what's happening with this one? I mean, I know that you had some kind of video on YouTube. You were, uh, you made a video to convince Netflix to distribute your films. It, what's yeah, the result of your efforts, and we're, what we're can still, you do to help you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the um, next, the, the Dear Netflix campaign, which is uh, DearNetflix.com, uh, is is still going. We're just the little engine that could, so it's uh, it's kind of hard for us to. Um, to uh, I, I just find it ironic that it's easier for us to get to politicians than it is to Netflix. But um, but yeah, I mean, if anybody knows if anybody knows anybody at Netflix, we've got two really uh, award-winning films that have had fantastic theatrical uh, releases that uh, yeah that are ready to go. But um, the, the stuff that we're working as as that's happening now, the stuff that we're that we're working on uh, most connected to the to the neighborhood is. Um, there's a project that we're starting uh, this week, actually, called Kensington Renewal, where we're taking some of the worst houses in this neighborhood. Uh, in some cases, one on, on some blocks, one out of every three houses are uh, abandoned, uh, vacant, or um, or have already fallen down and are abandoned or and are abandoned lots. Um, as you can imagine, that leads to a lot of um, negative activity that happens. So, uh, sure. understanding the statistic that home ownership in a neighborhood directly correlates to crime. Our job is to play Batman and Robin, so I'm going to be uh, taking a little bit of money out and uh, actually buying uh, an abandoned, we call them abandoniums around here. So we're going to be buying an abandoniums so that we're fixing it up, and then uh, we'll actually sell that that house uh, to a family, to an owner-occupied family at market value through private mortgage. Uh, another problem with the, with, uh, with the neighborhood is that banks won't give mortgages, even if you have great credit, uh, to properties that are valued at less than $50,000. And in our neighborhood, um, it's such a hard-hit neighborhood, the median home price is about $45,000. So the only people that can buy properties in this neighborhood are cash, uh, cash-filled cash investors, which in some of those cases end up being shady slumlords. So um, we're, we're working with... Um, with, city, with some folks in city council, and uh, and have some relationships with uh, with local state representatives and such. But um, the big goal is really, we want to get folks to. It's sort of a for-profit and non-profit hybrid where if we can get investors to come in and help us um, 
acquire these properties and then get the community groups and church groups and anarchist collectives and the you know the occupy folks to come in and let's occupy Kensington and let's let's get this neighborhood back to where it it not necessarily where it used to be but just to the point where we have owner occupied families um that are going to fill these what what are currently big big black holes so um yeah, I've kind of taken a risk, but but also fortunately there's a um, there's a really good friend of mine, a college buddy who is a reality TV show producer. So um, they want to do a reality show. Uh, I think the, the running line. We'll see if it happens. But the running line was the Robin Hood of real estate. So um, if that if that uh, if that occurs, it'd be a great way to kind of tell that sort of story where it's a it's almost kind of like an extreme home makeover for for 2012, where the we're not talking about building $500,000 homes, but we are talking about systemically transforming families' lives and neighborhoods in, in almost like a paradigm caliber shift. Like if, if you can provide the space for a family to who who up until now has only rented and only knows people who have rented, you're going to change the dynamics of that family as well as uh, the dynamics of the neighborhood that they're moving into. So, uh, yeah, that's the big idea anyway. So Kensington, Kensington Renewal is the name. That's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, repeat the name again. I'm sorry, Jamie. Repeat the name of the project. Ken- Kensington Renewal. And our very not ready for prime time, but uh, you can check it out anyway. Uh, KensingtonRenewal.com will be the the location that we're uh, as we as we develop. We're, we're doing that. So we're getting uh, fiscal sponsorship through a good friend of ours, so folks can um, can contribute if they want to that way. But then um, we still do need cash to actually acquire the property. So um, we're courting investors as well. So it's a, it's a unique but also um, somewhat proven for-profit and non-profit hybrid where uh, we can kind of really on, on whatever side of the table that you're on, if, you're, if you want to change neighborhoods like this, uh, it's an amazing and uh, potentially scalable way of doing it, uh, so much so that we're, um, we're hoping that we can develop a model that we can then give to other cities so that other other neighborhoods can can do what we're doing. I think that's excellent, and that's a wonderful idea. I hope you get the reality show because I would far would I would much prefer yeah. to watch uh, your kind of reality show than the ones that we have <laughs> currently playing on air. Uh, yeah. That would be such a positive positive change and shift. I do uh, I do also want to mention you have two other films in uh, production that I I think are also great: The Cost of Hunger, and mm-hmm. um, is it the Gospel of Rutba? Did I yeah, that? yeah, yeah. The the oh, cost of hunger, which so we should start shooting in March, is uh, is a show where we follow a seed through the the uh, city harvest program. It's um it's it's a program where um where Philadelphia uh, inmates actually uh, grow uh, learn learn farming skills, grow food, and then that food goes back to um, kitchens and pantries that are often in the neighborhoods. Um, that they that they came from, so it's this really unique and, and really inspiring cycle that um, that my friends at the Pennsylvania Horticulture Society um, have put together. And, and I've I've actually known about the program for an awful long time, and then um, met some met some uh, some friends there, and uh, they actually fixed the idea to to me. But it turned out that I I had uh, what they didn't know is that I had I had already had a um, a business proposal for the film, so it, was, uh, it ended up being totally perfect. Yeah. So the cost of hunger is the name of, of that film, and then uh, another another film that, that we're about halfway through is um, the Gospel of Ripa, which put me in Iraq with my buddy Shane Claiborne uh, back in January of 2010, and uh, it's a pretty it's a pretty remarkable story of um, of I guess contrasting uh, faiths and cultures and 
at, at a time where, I mean, to be to, to be in a war that that your country is fighting, uh, and, and to get to listen to the stories of folks uh, who are, I guess, technically on the on the other side of that story, it's a, it's a really unique um, way to to kind of go. Here's here's the whole here's the whole thing, and um, yeah, it was I was I'm very lucky to be, to be a part of that project, and uh, and really glad to see. There's also a book by. Um, a really great guy, a Pulitzer Prize-nominated author named Greg Barrett, and um, he'll be putting out a book with the same name, The Gospel of Ripa, and I think that'll come out that's probably in March or so. Yeah. That's a, both of those great films. Actually, everybody, uh, we got about 90 seconds left, so I want to mention your website. It's jamiemoffitt.com. Check into it. If you can donate some money, help him get those films distributed so we can get the word out there to people. The work he does is extraordinary. It's been so much fun to meet you and have you on the program. I really admire the life you live and how you've integrated your passion for film and art and music and theater into action that creates positive change in your community and around the world. I'd love for you to come back. And uh, keep us updated on your projects, and we will sure. continue to promote your efforts. And I hope that you'll help spread the word about behind the curtain as well, because we too love to inspire people by having guests on like yourself, and who are walking the talk and creating such magic in the process. So JamieMoffitt.com, everybody. Thank you so much, Jamie. It's been a pleasure. Thank to you. Have you this Absolutely. On the show, and good luck. Okay, uh, next week our friend Adam Bernstein, internationally renowned uh, psychic, will be back with us and we will be taking calls. So uh, be sure to uh, tune in next week. It's been great sharing this time with you. I so appreciate you listening and having you with me along on this journey. This is Kathy Barrett sending you a virtual hug from behind the curtain. Peace. <laughs>